the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello again, and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. I'm Michael North. There are specific characteristics that define Christ's church and set us apart from all other people in the world. Today, we're going to explore our origins and the qualities of the early church as described in Acts chapter 2. Like these early believers, we are striving to be devoted and loyal to Jesus Christ and his teachings. We'll be looking into the hearts of those in church history who embody the powerful ideals set out in Scripture and see how they found strength in their faith during their time in need. Our new series is called This Is Us, and it begins right now. Here's Pastor Dudley. Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, if you will. When you turn to Acts chapter 2, this is the first day of the New Testament church. This is the first sermon that was ever preached in the New Testament church. You're going to see the first baptisms in the New Testament church. You'll see the first conversions in the New Testament church. And as we look at the church in the New Testament, I I want you to know that the reason we study this is because we want our church, this is us, we want our church to pattern itself after the church that we read about here in the book of Acts. So the sermon begins in verse 14, if you have your Bibles, and Peter, everybody say Peter. Peter was the one who preached the first sermon on the first day of the New Testament church. Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice. He addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live here in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And he begins to preach. At the very end of his sermon, the very last verse is verse 36. In verse 36, he says, therefore, everybody say, therefore, Therefore. that's just like the pastor saying in closing, uh, he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. That man is the Lord of all Lords. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scripture is how he wraps up his sermon. Now look at what happens when he finishes preaching in verse 37. When the people heard this, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. What does that phrase mean, they were cut to the heart? That means they felt convicted. They said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter said, you must do two things for two reasons. 
Peter replied, you must repent, which means turn your life over to God. And number two, you must be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for two reasons. One, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. And two, you will receive a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 said this promise. What promise? The promise, if you repent and you're baptized, your sins will be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, even those people who live in Porter Ranch, California. It's for all whom the Lord our God will call. In verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Oh, he could preach this sermon today because we're living in a corrupt generation today. Can someone say amen? Amen. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Then we come to verse 42, which is our main verse today. And the very first word of verse 42 is the word they. I want you to say they. They. Now, who's they? Say, who's they? they? Now, write this down. They are the 3,000 people who just accepted the message and were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, had their sins forgiven, and who had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The second word in verse 42 says, they were devoted, and write this down, The word devoted means loyal to. If you're devoted to something, it means that you're committed to it, that you never give up. It's something that they stayed focused on continually. And then verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? Prayer. Now, I want to say this to you again. Every person in this room who goes to this church needs to know that the church in the New Testament, that when people got saved, they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the reason you need to know that is that when you walk into this church, you walked into a church that's trying to pattern itself after the church in the new testament this is us this is who we are and there's always people who ask me well dudley why are there so many different kinds of churches well the reason there's so many different kinds of churches is that people start following man-made rules and man-made doctrines and they sway away from following the church the example that was set for us back there in the new testament so one of my favorite things to do is anytime anyone gives me a chance, I'll explain to you what the church was like in the New Testament because that's the kind of church we should be. In Acts chapter 2, the New Testament church was a studying church, a learning church. One might say that on that first day that the Holy Spirit opened up a Christian school in Jerusalem that day. The first school had 3,000 pupils in it. All of them were kindergartners as far as I'm concerned. They weren't just saved. They didn't just get saved. It began a process and a journey for them intellectually and theologically. They 
began to get on this road that caused them to study at the apostles' feet. You see, they didn't have a Bible back in those days. So they had to sit at the feet of the apostles. And that's what they did. Now today, we have the apostles' teaching in a book called the Bible. We have the writings and the teachings of the apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. We have the writings of Peter. He was one of the apostles. We have the writings and the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, who was the cornerstone of the New Testament church. While we have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who sat at the feet of Jesus. They were mentored by Jesus. They attended Jesus's life group for three and a half years. And all of the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when you become a Christian, the most important thing you can do is to begin to study the words of the Holy Bible and all God's people said. Week after week, month after month, year after year, every service when you come to church, here's what we do at Shepherd Church and here's what we do at Shepherd Youth Group. We open the Bible and then we do three things. We read it, we explain it, and then we apply it every week, every week, today. We open the Bible to Acts 2, verse 42. I read it to you. We're going to explain it to you. And we're in the process of applying it to you. And I want you to know that whenever you come to church or you put your child in our youth group and they go to their discipleship group or you attend a life group, we're going to open the Bible. We're going to read the Bible, explain the Bible, and apply the Bible. One of the most often heard comments I have from people who visit our church for the very first time, I've I've heard this over and over. And I'm not, I'm not condemning anything. I just hear this. Pastor, I attended Mass my whole life. I never learned a thing. I come to your church one time. I learned more one time. I learned a whole year of going to Mass. Oh, I love that compliment. Can someone say amen? The Bible says in Psalm 19, verse 10, that God's Word is more precious than gold. If I gave you a solid block of gold or an iPhone, I said you could have one or the other, which would you take? Some people yelled out iPhone in the first service. (laughs) And that's the problem. You could buy a hundred iPhones if you had a block of gold. But the Bible is more precious than gold. We spend more time on our iPhones than we spend in the Word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verse 14, that the wisdom of God's Word is more profitable than silver. It yields better returns than gold, and she is more precious than rubies, God's wisdom. It's why I'm thankful for our Christian school, Heritage Christian School, and all of our teachers who teach there. I'm thankful for all the parents who are here who make sure that your young people are involved in our discipleship groups and in our youth groups. I'm thankful for all of you who are here each and every week. It's one of the most important things that you can do for your life. One of the most important things that you can do for your child is to have them here week after week studying the Word of God. I am convinced we would not have all the mass shootings that we're having in this country. We would not have all the drugs that we have in this country. We would not have all the division that we have in this country. We would not have all the violence that we have in this country. We would not have all the young people who disrespect 
and disobey their parents that we have in this country, if we as adults and we as a church and if we as school systems would get back to teaching the Word of God and the principles of the Word of God to our young people. Number two, write this down. It was a caring church. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. What is fellowship? The Greek word, I'm going to teach you a Greek word, is the word koinonia. Koinonia. And when it says they devoted themselves to, to fellowship, that's an English word. In the Greek, they devoted themselves to koinonia. And koinonia is a word that means that we do life together. We share together that we care and love one another. It's a partnership that, that everybody bought in, that everybody participated, that everybody works together. I'm going to put this quote, don't write it down, and there's no place to write it down. I just want you to see that the early Christians, they didn't talk about going to church. They never talked about going to church. They always talked about being the church. The early church was not comprised of spectators. The early church was made up of participators. They didn't show up to see a performance. They showed up to get their hands dirty and to serve and to help and to care, to love and to give. Some people come to church and actually roll up their sleeves and serve and volunteer and minister and use their God-given talents to help reach the lost and to help believers grow and to honor and magnify the Lord and His kingdom. We certainly believe that God has gifted each of you with certain gifts and talents and abilities and a certain skill set, but we believe that God gave you those gifts by design that you would use those gifts and those talents to serve the body of Christ. It's actually why God brought you to this church, because God wanted those gifts and talents that He put inside of you to be used to serve the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And so that's why here we have gifted singers who sing. We have gifted teachers who teach. We have faithful people who serve. We have greeters who greet. We have ushers who ush, whatever that means. We We have youth coaches who coach. We have stuffers. They're really good at stuffing and they stuff this bulletin each and every week. We have cleaners who clean, but nowhere in the Bible is there a spiritual gift of sneaking in church and sneaking out of church. And some of you think that that's your gift. You actually are proud of the fact that you know how to park and sneak into church right before the sermon starts. And right when the sermon's over, you think you have this special ability to sneak out. That is not a spiritual gift. Our church is focused on getting you to be uh, from being a spectator to being a participator. We want you to go from being just an attender to a contributor, and you're one or the other. It's our intentional focus to get you into a life group and your child into a D group. And besides the teaching and the studying of the God's Word, it's in that life group where koinonia takes place, where you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who are mourning, and you help one another, and sharpen one another, and care for one another, and love one another, and serve one another. Koinonia, the early church was focused 
intentionally devoted on koinonia. Number three, they were a learning church, a caring church. Write this down, number three. They were a thankful church. The Bible says they were devoted to the breaking of the bread, the breaking of the bread, which we know today as communion or the Lord's Supper, which we do here every week. Just a few minutes ago, in this entire room, we served everyone a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And that little, little cup, that little piece of bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken and sacrificed on the cross. And that little cup of juice symbolized His blood that was shed. Here's where this comes from in 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus. Everybody say the Lord Jesus. And don't ever forget that He is Lord. He is Lord. On the night that He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this. Do what? Take communion in remembrance of me. And in the same way, verse 25, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what he wanted, and they did it in the first century, whenever they got together, it didn't matter if it was on a Sunday or a Monday, whenever they got together, could have been a Wednesday or a Friday, whenever they got together, one of the central things that they did in that meeting was they would take bread and they would take that wine and they would take it and think back to what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And I think when you take communion, what it does you stop thinking about everything else and for that brief moment you're actually thinking about what Christ did on the cross and the Lord knew that we would tend to forget what he did for us half of us can't even remember what we did yesterday how are you going to remember what happened 2,000 years ago so he instituted this ordinance that in the middle of your service that you would participate in his supper And as you think back to Jesus on the cross, you can't help but be thankful for his love. You can't help but be thankful for his grace. You can't help but be thankful that he washed your sins away. You can't help but be thankful that your sins have been forgiven. You can't help but be thankful that he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't help but be thankful for his salvation and the fact that you get to go to heaven one day. And you should bring your family here each and every week just for communion is what you ought to do. Number four, write this down. It was a church devoted to prayer. It was a worshiping church. Verse 43, everybody say verse 43. Say everyone was filled with what? With awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together. This is that koinonia They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Verse 46 says that every day, it wasn't just on Sunday. They They didn't do this on Sunday. They did this every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. 
They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And when you think about it, church is where all week long you've been out doing your thing. We take time out, time out, let's go to church. And we come to church and we study God's word. And we we read it, we explain it, we apply it. We're listening for that divine revelation from God. We, we have koinonia. We're here because we care for one another. We get plugged into those life groups where ministry takes place. And then we will, uh, uh, we will worship and we will pray and we will care. We will love one another. And all of that, see, all of that is just, we'll take communion. All of that is the worship service. And when you worship, it's a time where you are being drawn closer to a holy God. And that's why you should be here each and every week. Amen. Go back to verse 42 one more time as I prepare to close. It says there in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to these four things. And the best thing you can ever do for your family, the best thing that you can ever do for your marriage, the best thing you can ever do for your spouse, the best thing you can ever do for your children, the best things you can ever do for you and devote yourselves to these four things. And uh, if you'll do all that, write this down, number five, you'll be a growing church. Oh, that's number five. And the Lord added to their number, what was it? Does that say weekly? Does that say only on Sunday mornings? No, because they were meeting every day. And the Lord just kept adding people to their number every day. And they were devoted to these things. I heard this story about this dog. He was a Japanese Akita dog named Hachiko. And Hachiko would wait at the train station every day for his owner to get off the train. And when his owner got off the train, Hachiko, the dog, the Akita dog, he and his master would go home together. And one year, the owner at work had a cerebral hemorrhage and died at work needless to say he did not come home on the train that day and there was Hachiko still waiting for him Hachiko that dog showed up at that train station every day after his master's death for over nine years every single day that dog went back to the train station waiting for his master to come home for over nine years That, my friends, is dedication. That's devotion. That's consistency and loyalty that we're talking about today. And I believe that one of the reasons why this church grows, one of the reasons why God continues to bless this church is because we are devoted on being a church that is patterned in that New Testament. I want you to look at your list there again. You know, you look around here. Is this a caring church? A learning church, a thankful church, a worshiping church. I put those little boxes in there for you to check. But I don't want you to check them if you see those things. I want you to check them if you are learning, if you are caring and involved in ministry and koinonia, if you are thankful for what Christ did for you on that cross. If you're here week in and week worshiping, like if you're going to get up and leave before the service is over, you cannot check that box. (laughs) 
are you personally growing? Because if you can check that those are all happening in your life, then guess what? Then we have the kind of church that we're supposed to be. Family traits, they're passed down to us and then through us, revealing our shared DNA. In the same way, we're meant to look like God's family, to bear His image. So what are these shared family features, these identifying marks? In our newest series, This Is Us, Pastor Dudley and the Lift Up Jesus team explore seven key characteristics that we as individuals and the church should have. We examine the distinguishing traits that reflect our relationship with Jesus and remind us that we are part of His family. For a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you Pastor Dudley's complete sermon series and small group resource called This Is Us on either CD or DVD. Call right now at our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again in the United States is 888-818-4777. Order your copy of This Is Us today. We thank you for being with us today, and be sure to join us again next week at the same time. And remember to always lift up Jesus.